0: In Jesus, our identity in Christ, and I've put on there becoming aware of our identity in Christ. Now, if I can move the slides along. <clears throat> How's it work, Joel? <laughs> if it doesn't work, I'm just going to preach. <laughs> Right, it says, knowing your true identity in Christ is vital because if you start to understand who you really are in God's eyes and not in the eyes of the world, it will transform the way you view yourself, it will transform your behavior, the way you speak, and the way you think. It is important to know who you are. Um, Identity is found only in relationship with Christ. Uh, We need to be more aware... Of our position in Him. And what I'm going to share with you today is some things I've studied and two personal testimonies. So something real from me and something I've studied and prayed about. But here's a question Do you find yourself seeking your uh, value, your worth, your identity outside of Christ? Here's some examples, and this is very common. We all fall into it. I have massively fallen into this one. First, your vocation, what you do. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm not one, but people say, I'm a pastor. No, the truth is, you're a Christian. Who is a pastor? People say, I'm an elder. No, you're a Christian. Who is an elder? I'm a doctor. No, you're a Christian. Who happens to be a doctor? And people get their identity from their job. If they're a, a bin cleaner or a dustman, they feel are oh, nothing. No, in Christ, you really are someone. You really are. Even if you haven't got a job yet or ever, you really are someone. You know, and here's some examples. I've met people like this, and I'm sure you have. You know, you get a mum who used to... Like Karina, my wife. She had a great job. She was PA to the directors big fat job. She earned more money than I do. Now she's a stay-at-home mum with occasionally very unappreciative children. And she sometimes can think, well, what am I I doing? (laughs) She's someone in Christ. You get another person. I mean, I'm going to pick on Esther here. I hope you don't mind. But I always remember when Esther said when her husband Andy retired, she said to me, I don't know what to do with him. He's around the house. It's really annoying. He still is, okay. <laughs> but the point is, um, Terry and Jolene, the, the children, their children have left home. And it can, I'm not saying this is applied to Esther, but it can be that people who've had children in their home, when their children leave the nest, when they fly the nest, they like think, well, what's my role now? What do I, I've lost my identity, you know. And you get all kinds of people like this who seem to put their, 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 their value into what they do. Um, You might get a man, just one other one, a man who's unemployed. He might feel like he's rubbish. Or you might get someone who's got a really big job and they might think they're something. But it's not who you are. Not at root. It's what you do. Next one is your past. People latch on to their past and say, that defines who I am. Your past does not define who you are if you're in Christ. It does not define who you are. Some people look at what was done to them Victim, my family, what they did to me. Therefore, I am a victim. That is who I am. That is not who you are in Christ. It's something that was done to you. People who fail, a failed marriage, past mess, baggage, they say, I'm a failure. You're not a failure. Your marriage failed. Maybe you made some mistakes, but that's not who you are in Christ. You're not a failure people sin. They might go to university. I know I did. Before I knew the Lord, I went to university, go and sin. Get drunk. I used to go on pub crawls. I used to go around drinking something called snakebite. We used to go around. I was, got so drunk once, glorifying myself here. No, I got so drunk once, we ripped up the road signs and carried them off. I took them out of the road. It was out of the pavement. But that doesn't define who you are. Your sinful past does not define you. Oh, I'm therefore a sinner. Not in Christ. Um, no negative experience, no emotional experience, no failure, no baggage, no family upbringing, no background of family determines who you are in Christ. You're someone very special in Christ. Right, let's move on. Do you let other people determine your worth and identity? And here's one that Simon, Simon has fallen into big time. Compare yourself with other people. Woohoo! Hands up if you've ever compared yourself with someone else. Must be at least one of Oh, good, right? (laughs) You see, sometimes you can look at your own gifts and you can look at someone else and you can start to have what's called discontent. And the enemy loves it. But, you know, sometimes I've learned, this is one of the things I've learned, is that sometimes maybe what you're looking at wasn't... you weren't created for. Or maybe the time is not right. But here's something else. We have to understand that people are unique... And you are unique with what you can do for God. You really are. You know, one person's created to have a beautiful voice. Like Hannah. Definitely not Pat. Um, one person might be created to be very creative. You know, they might have lots of arty ideas. Another person might be created to glorify God as a CEO, a top director. Another person might be created to glorify God as an administrator. Another person might be created to glorify God raising a family. Another person might be created to glorify God in singleness. Maybe not forever, but the point is, it's so easy to get discontented. And here's my first personal testimony. I went through a phase of that, looking at other people. Not just people here, but further afield. And uh, you know the effect of looking at other people and getting a bit down and down in the dumps is you stop, you just, you just go in on yourself, don't you? You become a bit of a moper. I don't know if any of you ever mope. You go, oh, poor me. You know, like Marvin the Android in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You remember him? He was a depressed robot. I used to get nicknamed that, by the way. <laughs> Marvin the Android. Oh, Everything's going to go wrong. But you see, the problem is this. You go in on yourself. But I learned a tremendous lesson. I used to, or well, I still am at the moment. I'm the chair of Churches Together in the craze, and I sort of run these Churches Together meetings. I'm, I'm handing it over in January to someone else. But I was particularly down one day and I had to go and do a Churches Together meeting and I did not feel like it. And then I had to go and run an Alpha course and I did not feel like it. But you know, I went and did those two things. I went and served. And I tell you, if you serve, even if you're feeling rubbish, if you serve and do what God puts in front of you, I was filled with joy. I came back to my wife and she said, what has happened to you? Because I was radiant. I was just doing what God told me to do. Don't be robbed of what Christ is giving you to serve in because you're looking at other people. Don't be robbed of what you can do. You can miss out on the joy of serving Jesus in what he has given you to do now. And my testimony is, when I went away and served, all that rubbish, it lifted off, and I was absolutely fine. So when you're feeling down, just serve the Lord. Don't stick in your flat and switch on the TV and go under your bed covers. It's the worst thing you can do. Next point, quickly. You might be chasing after something, maybe that someone else has. It's okay to want things, but here's the question. Are you chasing something more than your relationship with Jesus? Is the main thing your relationship with Jesus, or is, it, is something else more important? These are just kind of self-check questions. Next one, do you fear the future? Some people are afraid that what, something might happen to them, or they might lose something. It's usually a symptom that maybe your identity in Christ is not secure fear of the future. You know, your future in Christ is absolutely strong. And then another one, these are just little symptoms really of, um, are you surprised when you suffer? You know, some Christians, I mean, I've I've been there, you suffer and you're so surprised. You say, well, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be suffering. But if you're in Christ, there is suffering sometimes. Because he suffered. But it was for a purpose. And God will use your suffering. Even Mark's bad stomach. God will use your suffering for a purpose. It's not wasted. Right, I better move on, because I want to get onto to five points in a minute. <laughs> Just wanted to remind you, though, the enemy wants to steal away your true identity. The enemy will lie to you. The enemy will say, you're no good, you're rubbish, look at your past. The enemy will bring out photographs of your past and wave them in front of your face. So that's who you are. You're a failure. Tell him to get lost. You're not a failure in Christ. The enemy will also wave in front of you, not only photographs of your past, he'll also wave in front of you what other people can do, what other people are doing. Just tell him to get lost. Remember, the enemy comes to, th- he's a thief. He says, the enemy, a thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your ID. You heard of ID theft? The devil wants to steal from your mind what you really are in Christ. He wants to make you think you're a failure. He wants to make you look at your past, what happened to you. He wants to make you look at what other people can do instead of discovering who you are in Jesus. Let's move on. So, I've got five points. I tried to be too long. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, the first one is quite basic and actually applies to all people, but especially... Christians should be aware of it. A creature. I don't mean you look like a hobbit or golem or something. What I mean creature is you are a created being in a relationship to a creator. Now, people in the world don't believe that. They think they evolved from monkeys. But the truth is, If we were created by God, then we were created to depend on him. To depend on him. So depending on the Lord is very, very important. As I get older, I find I have to depend on the Lord to do things that I used to find quite easy. But we all depend on the Lord. And sometimes as Christians, we can forget we need to rely on the Lord for everything. I can't even shave properly. (laughs) Sometimes Cut myself the other day, blood everywhere. You've got to depend on the Lord. And here are some areas in which we need to depend on the Lord. Some of them are very basic. I mean, that's a quote from Psalm 145, where it says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. So even our food comes from God, we forget that, we think it's all at Tesco's, but without the sunshine you'd have no food at all. You know, your plans, you you really, in your plans, you know, it says um, in the book of James, it talks about those who want to um, go to one city and do this and do that, and James says you should do it like this, if the Lord wills, then we will do this or that. You need to depend and rely on the Lord for your plans. Don't just make a hundred plans, because the Lord will mess them up. <clears throat> you have to depend on the Lord for your abilities. All your gifts come from God. You have to depend on the Lord for your very life. It says in Proverbs 27, "Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what will happen." Proverbs 27 verse one, you don't know what tomorrow will bring forth. Are you depending on the Lord? There are so many things. Um, We depend on the Lord for so much. Uh, It says our times are in his hands in Psalm 31. So we're depending, we're created to be dependent. The other thing we are created for, and it's that second verse, we're morally accountable. We're morally accountable to God. He will judge what we do. You can't just do what you like. It says in Romans 14 there, verse 12, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So we're dependent on him, we are accountable to him. You cannot just make up the rules. Now, that actually should give you security. Let's move on, because I... Here's another one, and this is probably one of the most important things about who you are in Christ, and this applies only to Christians, not to everyone. Justified. Does anybody know what that means? Go on, Rene, you're a theologian. Right, I am made just as if I had never sinned. Just, I, just as if I had never sinned. Well done, you get 10 marks for that. But have you ever stopped to think about that? Because we know we have sinned. We do sin. We still sin now from time to time. We, we aren't perfect. But in God's sight, it is just as if you had never sinned. And I'll explain why you can do that in a moment. You might think, that's crazy. But I do sin. Yeah, but in God's sight, it's just as if... You had never sinned. It's just as if you had lived 33 years on this earth without sin once, like Jesus. The perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to your account. Isn't it nice when you get money credited to your bank account? I love it, you know. (laughs) Especially when Pete does it after nagging... No. um, Pays back... Pete, great... Credited to your account. The perfect righteousness of Christ. Credited to your account. Do you know, just as justified also means something else. Which René didn't say. So you only get half marks. It's just as if you'd always obeyed the law of God. Just as if you'd always obeyed. Now you say, well how can this be? How can God, who is holy, look at me... And think it's just as if that person never sinned. I'll tell you why. Here's the answer because you are in Christ. <laughs> because you are in Christ, He can do it. And the big thing Christians do is they look at their own performance I've done this wrong today, I've sinned. Oh, oh God, God's going to not talk to me today. It's a bad day. Whereas, you're not supposed to look at your performance. You're meant to look at your position in Christ. Okay, now, I've got a few props here. <clears throat> Just drop the microphone. Got a few props. This is rather silly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right, these are 3D glasses. Okay, have you ever worn 3D glasses at the cinema? The cinema looks quite normal, but as soon as you put on the 3D glasses, wow, really comes. I saw Titanic wearing these. (laughs) Terrible film. Anyway, and I know this sounds silly, but God, and I know you might laugh at this, God views you through Jesus type spectacles, He views you in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, he views you through Jesus-type spectacles. That's how he sees you. Now, as a Christian, yes, you might sin, you might get things wrong, you might, I don't know, fail to do something. And the Lord expects you to come to him and say, sorry. But for all the things you're not aware of, all your imperfections, it's all covered as you seek to walk in the light. And even your things are not perfect. You see... It might affect your fellowship with God now, but it will not affect your qualification for heaven. Here's another example. I I admit I don't fully understand all of this, what I'm saying, but I know it to be true. Here's a clock from my kitchen, right? (laughs) Another silly example. Look. Now, wouldn't I be a, a complete idiot if I hung my clock up this way, back to front? And I looked at it. What time is it? I don't know. Looking at the wrong side of the clock. Now often what a Christian will do is they'll look at his own performance or her own performance. You'll look at your own righteousness. How much have I I prayed this morning? Have I read my Bible today? Do you know the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags? A menstruous cloth. So what are we supposed to do? We know we're not perfect yet and God knows we're not perfect yet. Ah, but you are in Christ. So what you need to look at is the other side of the clock. Turn away from looking at yourself. Forget that. And look at the proper side of the clock. Now, what does that mean, Simon? Well, that means look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at who Jesus is. Stop relying on your own righteousness and start just relying and trusting on Christ and what Christ has done on the cross for you and what Christ is in you and what Christ says you are and what, who you are in Christ. Not who you are in yourself. Don't look at your performance. Look at your position. This is what the Lord's been telling me anyway. Stop looking at yourself and, oh, I'm no good. Look at what Jesus has done. God declares you right through the blood of his son. It's a courtroom evaluation. It's as if you're in the royal court of heaven. It's a courtroom evaluation. You're declared right because you're in Christ. Not because you're perfect, because we know you're not. You won't be perfect until you get to heaven. But you're declared right by a courtroom evaluation. You're declared righteous. Let me just read one other scripture before I break my clock. Um, Christians fall into this so often. They think it's about how perfect they are instead of looking to the one looking outside of themselves looking outside of themselves to the one who is who they are in it says this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 man is not justified by the work of the law that means doing things but by faith in Jesus Christ we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law Or before by the works of the law no one shall be justified. Can I just encourage you to remember that when you sin or when things go wrong remember who you are in Christ come to him don't let it stop you being bold and courageous. Right, next little point. I want to just tell you this about this. We sometimes forget that God views the human race in only two types of person. You're either in Christ or you are in Adam. Either in Christ or in Adam. Now, what do I mean by being in Adam? All I mean is, the word in by the way, it means united to. You're either... In Christ, that means united to Christ. If you, when you read the phrase in Christ in the Bible, think united to Christ. You're either united to Christ in, or you're united to Adam. There are only two kinds of people on the earth, those in Christ and those in Adam. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you are not any longer in Adam. And You say, who, who the... Sorry to use this word. Who the heck is Adam? <laughs> who is Adam? What is this Adam. Adam is the nature of the old you. If you. We can read about it in this passage on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is who Adam is, and it, in all people who aren't Christian. It says, In the past you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. At that time you followed the world's evil way. You obeyed, the ruler of the spiritual powers, it's the devil in space, the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. Actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, like everyone else, we were destined to suffer God's anger. Those in Adam are born into this world, however cute the baby might look, spiritually dead, slave to the world, the devil, passions and sins, and subject to God's anger. That's shocking, isn't it? Then if you when you see a lovely baby, I mean I love my babies, but spiritually, they're born dead. Slaves to sin, the devil, the world, and subject to God's anger. It's shocking what the Bible, if you really read the Bible. Those are those in that but if you're in Christ, you're no longer in Adam. You come out of all that. I hope you think that's good news. <laughs> Let's move on. It says those he called, he also justified. And then, what I've been saying really at the bottom about Jesus, it says, God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Not in ourselves, not in our performance, but in him. Moving on. Next slide. This is who you are in Christ. Point number three you are an adopted son. You are an adopted son. Let me just read a verse for you. God, this is from Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no more a servant only, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I don't know if you realize you are a son. I'm talking to the women here as well. You're not a daughter. Meralda, you're not a daughter of God, you're a son of God. Jenny, you're not a daughter of God, you're a son. You know, Grace, you're a son. Now, you might think that's a bit sexist, isn't it? You know the Bible, if you read about it, you'd never find the phrase "daughters of God." they hardly ever. Now men are called sons of God, women are called sons of God." And you say, "Why? I'll tell you why. In the Bible times, it was only the son that got the inheritance. Only the son. Sadly, the daughters didn't. Only the son got the the family inheritance. So what God is saying, by declaring men and women all sons, he's saying you're all set to get an inheritance. In this life, in part, but massively so beyond this life. Um, Jewish culture only gave all the property and all the blessings to the boys. (laughs) And that is why you are called sons of God, because you will inherit. Another little thing to mention about this, which not many people know, is in the Greek and Roman cultures, they didn't adopt babies like we do. We adopt little children, we adopt babies. They adopt a full-grown man. Because sometimes a couple would have no children, and they would adopt a fully-grown adult. And to that adult, the whole point of it was this. I've adopted you in order to give to you a huge, in- all my inheritance, everything I've got. And this is something we need to understand. This word heir, an heir, an heir of God. I mean, hands up anyone who's had the, um, what should I say, not bad luck, but blessing and bad luck of receiving some inheritance money. Hands up if you've received any inheritance money because somebody you loved died. Right. In today's society, if you receive inheritance money, it's an additional benefit. It's like you've got maybe some money to buy a car. You may be able to, you know, change your carpets. You might be able to buy a house if you're lucky, but generally, though, it's it's just a blessing. It's not totally life-changing. In those days, if you got an inheritance, it was absolutely, 100% life-transforming. It took you from being poor, poverty-stricken, living on the breadline type person into being a whole new realm of life. The inheritance was life-changing. It took you to a new level. And what God is trying to say to us, if you are in Christ, you are on a completely different level. And when you get to glory, you'll see it please believe, the inherit- I don't know what our inheritance involves, but I know it's, it's absolutely enormous. Can you just, hands up if you've been to America, anyone? Being a bit good, right, I've never been, but I hear in America that if you commit a murder, you can go on death row, yeah? You can go on death row, you end up in a prison on death row. Now imagine you're a prisoner on death row, you're sat there in the prison cell awaiting your death sentence. And then the governor of the state of Texas, let's pretend you're in Texas, the governor of the state of Texas comes to your cell and says, you're fully pardoned. I said, what? You're fully pardoned. And he said, and what's more, you can come to live in my family. You can come and live in my house and I'm going to give you all my inheritance. You go, what? I'm a death row inmate. Yeah, but i pardon you. You can come and live in my house. You can be with my family my children and you're going to get all the inheritance wouldn't that blow your mind that's what God's done to you it's true we don't deserve it we're criminal in his sight let's move on this is another thing you are in Christ and I'm on a personal testimony now please don't forget this if you've given your life to the Lord you're a new creation you might not feel very new When you wake up on Monday morning with your grumpy husband or your grumpy whatever, you might feel not very new and you need your coffee in the morning, but God has made you a new creation in Christ. Now, let's just read a few scriptures quickly. They'll come up at once. Ezekiel, the Old Testament, 36. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, promised this. God said, I will give you a new heart, I will put in a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So you've got a new spirit, new heart, new identity. Then it says in 2 Corinthians, in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in... Christ, the new creation has come. The old has passed away. The new is here. The old, what's that? It's Adam. The old Adam. That old sneaky nature we had has passed away. If you're in Christ, Then then the Bible says this, because the Bible knows that you are going to struggle at times. The Bible knows that we're not perfect yet. The Bible says this, though. This is very important, and we forget to do this. It says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. What this basically means is this. You are a new person in Jesus and all your old sins, all your old habits don't have to dominate you anymore. I don't know if you've ever had a habit that dogged you. Like a sin. I know I have, I've had a few. They dog you like an annoying terrier dog on your trouser leg. Get off! And you go along for a couple of months and then it's back. And and you know, the devil knows your weakness. So you'll bring, you know, when you're feeling stressed or maybe you haven't eaten, or thing, you know, the, the, it'll, the temptation will come back. Um, you'll go along for another couple of months, doing fine, and then you'll trip up again. And I've had this experience where I've been pretty much okay in the main, but there have been one or two things that have been what I call flaws which have sort of you know, followed you. Well, let me tell you this testament. You know, it's something the Lord really showed me. When you're in the thick of it, When you're really under temptation, you're about to do the same sin again for number 155. Stand and say no. Just say no. And I've seen that that sin goes. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've seen victory in those areas. Because... You are not the person you used to be. You're a new creation and you can say, count yourself dead to sin. You can say, no, you don't have to give in. You don't have to give in. Your flesh is screaming at you, Yeah, do it. You're, but If you're, in, you're new, you've got power to say, no, I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. It actually says that in the Bible. You're no longer under the dominion of Adam. Now, if you're out there, in, out in the world, you, you're going to have to go down eventually. But you don't have To go back to your old vomit. Okay? You're a new person. Right. Zooming on because of time. This is something you are. This is my last main point. There are actually hundreds of things that you are in Christ, but these are the five. I've talked about being a creature, about being justified, about being an adopted son, about being a new creation, and this is the fifth and final one that I'm going to speak today. That's about being a saint you're a saint. I don't know if Pat think, if Pat if Gemma thinks that Pat is a saint at home, <laughs> but he is. <laughs> and please don't think of Mother Teresa or these other people. The word saint simply means set apart for God. It means sanctify. Sanctify means set apart for God. You are set apart for God. And I'm going to show you something that I'm taking to India. This is my water bottle, which I'll be taking to Calcutta. It's just for me. It's set apart just for me. Pat is not going to stick his chops around this. This is my water bottle. It's set apart for Simon. And in the same way, you are set apart for God. You're not set apart to be wasted in the world, on the world's rubbish dump. You're set apart for God and here's the good news God can set anyone apart if they're willing it doesn't mean you go and live in a monastery and be weird it just means you're for God you're, 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 your life is for God you're not going to be wasted, chewed up spat out on the rubbish tip of the world and God can set anyone apart no matter how bad the past let me just read to you very, I'm nearly finished. A testimony of a friend of mine now in heaven called Norman Mays. Did anyone know him? One or two, yet. Yeah. This is what Norman Mays wrote. I like it. I'm going to read it to you. He says, I tried to earn big money with horse racing, but I didn't win much. I was bound with superstition. I believed in signs of good luck. I carried them with me. I was afraid to walk under a ladder as well as being afraid of stepping on a money spider or the number 13. But Jesus delivered me from all these things. I was sexually abused as a boy several times. I became a homosexual, searching for love, but I never really found it. By the reality of the love of God, I experienced total inner healing and became a brand new man. I used to curse, steal, smoke a lot, But praise God, he delivered me from the power of sin. I wanted to be a DJ. Jesus delivered me from that. Jesus delivered me from television. I spent all day with it. Now I do not have a television. (laughs) I repented of my sins and wickedness. I was a terrible person, always of bad temper, couldn't control myself until Jesus came into my life. He has forgiven my past and all my sins as I return to him in deep repentance. Jesus reconciled me with my family, and only from then could I love them. I am born again, I have a new start. Now I live for the glory of Jesus Christ. I go proclaiming his name to people who will listen, telling them this good message, that Jesus wants to deliver them also. You can have a new start in Jesus. It doesn't matter what your life has been like before, It's that phrase, it doesn't matter what your life has been like before. God can set you apart for himself. And if you don't believe that, just remember that in the Bible, uh, the book of Matthew, talking about the birth genealogy of Jesus, do you know the family that Jesus was born into in Bethlehem was a terrible family? It was. I mean, Jesus was pure. He came from heaven. But his, his earthly family in which, into which he was born had a load of skeletons in the closet. Did you know that? They weren't like a big righteous person. I mean, here we go. Here were some of the people in Jesus' ancestry of, in the human side. You had uh, a woman called um, Rahab. She, Rahab was a prostitute. You had a woman called Tamar. Now, Tamar dressed as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Uh, You had Ruth. Now, Ruth was a good lady, but she was a Moabite. And the Moabites, do you know how the Moabites came about? They came about through incest. The two daughters slept with the dad. So you've got a very messy baggage in Jesus' natural line. Um, You've got Bathsheba, who committed adultery with David. David. Let's not pick on the women, let's pick on the men. In the men, right, you've got Judah. Judah, he went round sleeping with prostitutes. But Jesus became known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You see the grace working there? You've got, um, what other dodgy men did we have? I'm trying to think. We had David, who committed adultery and murder. And it says of Christ, he should, you should always have a son to sit on the throne of David. Um, you had, I can't remember the other guy, but the point I'm making is there was a lot of baggage in Jesus' family. So it doesn't matter what your history, it doesn't matter what your history at all, God can come and be born in you and you can be set apart a brand new person. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right, I think um, I will now end with this phrase, God thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're wonderful. He thinks you're worth saving. He wants you to come into all that he has for you. Don't listen to the enemy who would say that you're not worthy. Because in Christ, in Christ you are, as before God, you are absolutely 100% the righteousness of God. Do you know the most important verse, and I'll finish with this, the most important verse in the whole Bible is, I think, 2 Corinthians 5.21, in my opinion. It says in that verse that in him we are made the righteousness of God. Did you understand that? The righteousness of God? That's who you are. I pray that you will discover more and more of this as you go on. Okay, so let's close. i will just uh, close now and uh, we'll, we'll pray. If you want to pray something, please feel free. Uh, I'm going to just pray a prayer and we will close. Lord, I thank you that it says in your word that you call those things that are not as though they are. I thank you, Lord, that you do not see us as a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners who fail. You see us as sons worthy of heaven, princes. You lift those from the dunghill onto the prince to make them princes. I thank you, Lord, that you see us very differently from how we see ourselves. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we go into 2018, to just believe what you have made us in Christ. Help us, Lord, help us so that we can be bold and courageous. In Jesus' name, amen.